Hi guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the In The Hub podcast, brought to you by Playbox Technology UK. In the first part of a two-part series, we speak to Paul Tyson of Studio Tyson about why he loves the broadcasting industry. In this first part, we'll cover the excitement of your first trade show, discovering new technologies and finding out how Paul founded Studio Tyson a full-service multimedia provider based in Royal Oak, Michigan. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to the InHub podcast today, Paul. How, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? Thank you, Neil. I appreciate that. I'm doing really great. Feeling great. That's good, Paul. It's, you know, we've been wanting to get you on for a while, obviously, as one of our kind of uh, partners, one of our dealers over in, in Michigan. Um you know, it always seems like you're up to something exciting. So I, I thought it's a good time to get you on the podcast and we, we can talk for a little bit about your career um, and, and basically what you've got going on at the moment with Studio Tyson. So thank you again, Paul. Sure. So, Paul, just before we do start talking about Studio Tyson and, and, and some of your projects in your career, how did you actually get your start in the broadcasting industry? You know, where did it all begin for you? Well, we'd have to go way back. <laughs> <laughs> how far are we talking? Uh, Actually, it's it started with Commodore. Uh, when I worked for Commodore Computer in the late '80s, and uh, helped them with the the Amiga platform. Right. Okay. And uh, so <laughs> that may go back further than you were you were maybe uh, thinking. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I've definitely the, the name Commodore obviously rings bells, but it it, it predates even me. Yeah. Paul, so. <laughs> Well, uh, but that's how that's how I ended up getting into the video um, production and post production business is through Commodore and the Amiga, and that platform. Uh, they released the Video Toaster in 1990, and that became sort of a career for me in the 90s, selling and supporting that technology, and that technology took me to. Uh, the NAB show out in Las Vegas. And so I, I started working. Uh, actually, I moved to Philadelphia for a while. And then I was working with Commodore there. That was kind of their home base at the time. And um, <clears throat> from there, took some trips out to Vegas, uh, was working with a local dealership that sold video toaster to uh, production houses that were located around uh, Philadelphia area. And uh, having gone out to Las Vegas a few times, got to see all the latest technology for video production and post-production at NAB and uh, big, big show. Showing the latest stuff from Sony, Panasonic, all that stuff. So first started, you know, with cameras and, tape decks and all that stuff and then kind of was right there during the whole integration of the personal computer with uh production and post-production yeah so i feel like it was a really kind of crucial turning point obviously paul that, that you kind of got involved in broadcasting um obviously i don't have first-hand experience of it myself having not been born at that point um but at that time, it just feels like there were so many kind of crazy things coming out. And, and it basically was a huge turning point by the sounds of it. Right. Yeah. Everything uh, back then was all tape based. So 
Yeah. You know, the, at that point, the race was on for who had the best picture quality. And uh, this was only maybe what, you know, 10 years after the introduction of VHS as a format. Um, and so on the pro side, uh, working with Sony's Betacam format at the high end, and then um, the lower end formats like Super VHS and High 8, uh, which were considered at that time were considered professional formats, but kind of the lower end of the spectrum for pro formats. And but got to get hands on with those cameras and um, learned how to operate a camera and how to what to shoot, what not to shoot with with cameras and so forth. And then, of course, the challenge of editing when everything is based on tape. So that was, uh, you know, went through all that with AB roll editing where you had you had to have three tape decks back in the day in order to do a dissolve or any type of uh, transition between decks. And so it was pretty, pretty tedious. And then, you know, working with that technology through the 90s, then seeing in the, the second half of the 90s, the introduction of hard drive based uh, editing. And I actually happened to be uh, in the room at the first demonstration of Avid editing systems in Michigan. So I was uh, over at a post-production facility here in Michigan called Grayson Wild. They were the biggest facility anywhere around uh, the Midwest at the time. This was like 19, I want to say 1988 or something like that, actually. So I'm taking you back into late 80s again. But uh, I was there for the, the first ever demo of Avid. And um, at that time, it was not capable of, of producing online results. So everything was like, it was low resolution, like a proxy edit almost. And then, uh, but what, what could be done is you could use a timeline editor. It did give you, it, it had the ability to digitize clips to the hard drive and then uh, would show those as a thumbnail, which you could arrange on a timeline. And then from there, what it would do is it would actually churn out an edit decision list that you would have to take back into the studio with tape decks and then use the three tape decks to assemble and edit because the, the footage coming off the drives just wasn't good enough. But by the late 90s, that had all been kind of, uh, you know, they, they kind of started catching up with tape. And I think by maybe 2000 timeframe, we were seeing uh, video coming off hard drives that was pretty much just as good as the video you could get on a beta cam system or with tape. So, I mean, it was originally, yeah, baby steps, wasn't it? But it's, you know, the, these challenges we have to thank now for just how not simple workflows are, but, you know, the whole simplification of workflows and being able to do this kind of stuff. Right. And, and seeing, you know, there were a couple companies that, that I was lucky enough to get involved with and, um, see up close and firsthand the kind of dr dramatic improvements that were made to that technology of 
digitizing video footage to a hard drive and then playing it back. And uh, two of the companies that come to mind that were really kind of game-changing companies were uh, digital processing systems out of Toronto, Canada, uh, otherwise known as DPS. They at first started making peripherals uh, for the video toaster system, which was in the mid nineties was still on the Amiga. And then they ported that those cards, those were expansion cards that would go into the Amiga. And then they ported those cards over to uh, Windows PCs by 1998 or something like that. So uh, they were kind of the first ones that that threw down the gauntlet, so to speak, uh, for Avid, and we're, we're coming in to challenge companies like Avid and Media 100 uh, on the topic of picture quality coming off of a hard drive. There was a DPS, and then a few years later, I was at the NAB show in Vegas, because I, I basically went every year from from like 1993 all the way through 2015, I went to every NAB show in Vegas. And uh, one of the other companies that I saw there that really knocked my socks off in the early 2000s was uh, Canopus uh, from Japan. And they, they had uh, started rolling out their Firewire-based products. So things were still standard definition, but you'd use FireWire to transfer all digital from tape, DV tape, which was mini DV uh, tape format, which was kind of Sony's baby, uh, and then digitizing to a hard drive via FireWire or actually transferring from tape to a hard drive over FireWire and uh, jumped on board. I jumped on board and, and recommended that the company I was working for at the time jump on board with Canopus because they were a real solid player out of Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll go, yeah. It's me thinking, obviously, I, I was uh, very young at the time, but thinking that uh, you never really know what you'd see at the next NAB. I'm, I'm guessing it would be a case of you, you go one year, you're like, right, there could be something completely different here this year. Right. It's going to completely change things. I mean, basically, in a nutshell, long story short, what happened is I went to the rather massive booth at Avid Technologies, and I stood there and tried to work their timeline system on the media composer, and when I tried to drag and drop clips on the timeline, they wouldn't, I couldn't get it to work. And I sat yeah. there for more than five or 10 minutes trying to figure out how do I move a clip from here to there? And then somebody came up to me and said, oh, no, you can't just grab it with the mouse. You have to do this with a keyboard shortcut. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> but then I walked down the, down the hall away uh, and found Canopus. And there they were, and they had something like 10 different systems set up with their very simple uh, Canopus DV edit software, which was a very simple timeline editor. And with that, I could just easily, without anybody helping me or telling me what to do, I could just drag and drop clips wherever I wanted them. And uh, they also had the whole FireWire connection down between tape decks, cameras, and hard drive. And so it was just a very slick 
and easy to use product. So that's what I, when I got home from that show, I recommended to my boss that we sign up with Canopus as a reseller. So we signed up with them in early 2000 and they made a whole host of different products, Firewire to, uh, to composite converters, Firewire to S-video converters that could uh, digitize anything from Firewire to a hard drive. Wow. Oh, well, good on those guys. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Paul, it, it's kind of evident, you know, obviously this, this industry is kind of a lifestyle for you. But is there something you can boil it down to? Is there a kind of reason why this industry kind of keeps you hooked? Well, I mean, uh, I do find the whole topic of, of video and and the audio and the graphics that go along with it. It's something that um, I just I just love that whole the, the entire multimedia spectrum. And uh, I guess for me, it's been something that I've watched, you know, come out of its infancy back in the 1980s when it was all done with tape and it wasn't very good quality and you would lose quality anytime you had to make a dub or a copy of a tape and things like that. And, and th a time when graphics were just simple text titles and you had very limited choices in terms of fonts and colors and, and things like that. And just watching how it's, you know, I've watched this whole industry evolve from its infancy into, you know, what it is today, which is pretty, pretty mind blowing. But uh, I guess that's what keeps me interested in it is the constant evolution of the the promise of multimedia. And I remember hearing that term multimedia back in the 1980s, you know, and people would say, what is it? What is it? You know, and, and who can do it best? Who what's the best way to do it? And I remember also getting some significant challenges from Apple, you know, back in those times as well, watching the Macintosh who come from basically a small computer that could do black and white screens to the, the release of the Mac 2 in the late 80s, which brought 256 colors and programs like Macromedia Director which were basically multimedia timeline uh, where you drag clips out onto a timeline and then just watching that kind of evolve through the years. Uh, it's just been wild, you know, and it's uh, for, for whatever reason, it's something that has always interested me, you know, the ability to, to handle media and work with media uh, on a computer and all of the, all of the advantages that you have with a software-based approach on a computer. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. obviously having seen it come from such, uh, you know, a lot you were saying back in the 80s and, and the 90s and things like that, and seeing just how far it's come, I, I think you'd be a fool not to be completely obsessed and involved in this industry. Um, right, yeah, very exciting, you know. And back in the day, you know, you, you kind of had to rely on magazines uh, the weekly or the, or I'm sorry, the monthly yeah. magazines like DV magazine and videography and, and so forth. Those would usually here in the States, those were the two big ones. Uh, of course there's post. Yeah. Sorry for popping my peas. I don't have a pea popper <laughs> it's here. So good. But, <laughs> it's so good. but uh, post magazine and a few others um, that kind of 
you know, follow the industry pretty closely. Um, but just watching it. And then of course, you know, um, things were going so swimmingly fantastic for me in the, in the nineties, in the early nineties working for Commodore, but then in 1994, Commodore filed for bankruptcy. So that was a, a somewhat devastating turn yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> and caused, caused me to question, you know, what, what direction am I going here? Because I had already invested probably $30,000 of my own money by that time into the Amiga platform between the multiple Amiga computers that I had, the different models, and then all of the different accessories and hardware and software, I had about 30K uh, tied up um, probably in about a four or five year period. I, I spent that much money of my own money uh, just investing in those technologies and trying to see how far yeah. we could push it. Well, I mean, yeah, that's it. You, you really yeah. went all in, Paul, didn't you? I, I mean, you know. That's completely commendable yeah. and admirable, and and yeah, I, I you know, obviously uh, looking past that, and uh, obviously you had that kind of moment where you're almost like, well, where do I go from now? Right. Um, obviously now you're at the point of obviously having Studio Tyson um, and having that set up. Yeah. So for for any listeners who don't already know about Studio Tyson, could you just kind of introduce us to the company and, and the kind of work that you guys carry out? Well, I mean, basically, Studio Tyson is the evolution of some of those things that that I've talked about uh, so far, which is uh, bringing all the elements together for audio, video, and graphics design, and kind of um, offering all of those things as a one-stop shopping experience for customers that are looking to uh, put together either explainer videos or, or promotional videos, um, but not limited to that. We'll do documentaries or, or any other type of video project, but just uh, basically utilizing all of the uh, current tools that are available for uh, modern day um modern day production facilities like ours. So, you know, we've kind of gone pretty heavily into the black magic uh, stuff for the cameras. Uh, and then we're windows based because when I had that situation happen in the mid nineties with Commodore, I yeah. promised myself I would never go with the underdog again. <laughs> so <laughs> I decided, and yeah. at that time, Apple was actually considered an underdog, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, no. so that was right around the time that Windows 95 was being rolled out. And I, I made a, a lateral move, uh, jumped over to uh, Microsoft and Windows, and then have been on that platform ever since. But so currently I'm sitting in front of a couple, you know, very high powered editing systems uh, that are running DaVinci Resolve and uh, Grass Valley Edius software. And those are my two uh, systems that I use for editing, for nonlinear editing. I also have Adobe Premiere Pro because for years I've been on the Adobe Creative Cloud. And then of course with Creative Cloud, we have access and, and use on, a, on the daily basis programs like uh, Photoshop, InDesign, and uh, Adobe After Effects, as well as Illustrator to kind of do the things that we do with video. 
but but so video production is the main thing here at Studio Tyson uh, and all of the things that go along with video production. So, you know, the lighting, the the sound, um, the graphics that are, you know, at some point or another definitely required for smooth looking video production. Um, I'm a longtime animator person uh, and I, I've been a 3D animator with, um, started, you know, again, back in the 90s with Lightwave 3D. And then still to this day, uh, uh, I do 3D animation, not as much as I used to back in the old times, but uh, still do it uh, where needed. And usually that's logo design. You know, you want to have a fancy logo introduction so we can do all that stuff, make a big fancy intro, the kind you see at the beginning of the movies, you know, when you go to a movie theater and see those big chrome fonts or, or glass fonts flying in front of the camera. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, That's satisfying, aren't they? Yeah, do uh, all that kind of stuff. At. I get deep into that. And um, I've even done some character animation where we have like... Uh, talking 3d characters kind of think uh like cars or shrek or something like that God, yeah so it's, it really is a full kind of range isn't it paul and and right i mean i'm that's i i do feel like uh it is safe to say that we are the what is the evolution of the promise of multimedia yes you know, I've I've come all the way from the way back times when when the thing uh, we used to use things like laser discs, <laughs> you know, back in the eighties, yeah. in order to do interactive um, stuff where you'd touch a touch screen and it would go and play some video. Uh, but but nowadays, you know, of course, you can do all that stuff very easily on like a low end PC. Hundred percent. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've also, uh, I, I guess I should mention while we're on this topic that I've got a very uh, deep amount of experience in digital signage as well. And I've done some projects here in Michigan that are pretty large scale projects with some of the universities and the hospitals and uh, some of the public exposition centers around Michigan. And that concludes part one of this two part series on the In The Hood podcast. Stay tuned for part two next week. <laughs> <laughs>